I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. In 2015, Marlon James became the first Jamaican writer to win the Man Booker Prize with his incredible novel, A Brief History of Seven Killings, about the 1976 assassination attempt on the life of Bob Marley. In 2019, he returned with the Dark Star trilogy, an epic fantasy series set in a mythical African landscape centered around the search for a missing boy. In his own words, Marlon wanted black pageantry, with the work aiming to reclaim all the stuff he likes, court intrigue, Monsters, Magic. He's now releasing the second installment, Moon Witch, Spider King. And I started off by asking him if the Russian invasion of Ukraine was dominating how people are feeling in the U.S., where he now lives. I think it, it may depend on generationally. I'm from Gen X, so we grew up in the Cold War. Um, you know, we, we grew up watching Red Dawn on the day after tomorrow. If anything, Gen Xers are a little too calm about um all of this but it's still it's it still just feels surreal in the states because if what we're despite all of me just saying as a gen xer i'm you know we're kind of prepared but we're prepared because of film and tv nobody really thinks this thing would be i think we 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 don't have a language to describe what's going on it's 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 i don't know if there's anybody around to tell us how it felt when hitler invaded poland but <laughs> But I have a feeling in a feeling it might be similar. Well, I, I remember um, talking to you uh, just after you'd won the Booker Prize for a, a brief history of, of seven killings and being slightly bemused by the fact that you said that what you were embarking on next was a fantasy trilogy. It mm-hmm. seemed quite an incongruous choice after winning, you know, the much lauded one biggest literary prizes in in the world. Tell me about your relationship with fantasy and why that that was always in your mind to do. Um, you know, it's, there's a picture I think it's out there on the internet of the day I got the first copy of Brief History, and it's 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 at the top of a stack of books, and the, all the books are on African folklore and religion. So I've been researching and I've been reading about this from before the book was Brief History was even published. 
Um, not because I was looking to write a book, but because I felt there was a gap in my knowledge. I felt that um, there is something to be said for knowing your country's mythology and knowing your people's mythology and history and so on. And I think it's easy to take it for granted if you have it. If you don't, then you just, you don't know. And I think I always felt there personally that there is something missing because the furthest back I can go is slavery. Um, so I didn't necessarily start doing all this research looking for a book. Um, it's in doing the research and reading all this stuff and seeing just how fantastic and wild and crazy and thoroughly unwestern it was that I started to think, ma'am, there's a book here. There might be 10. <laughs> or three at least. Um, mm-hmm. And there is a sense as well, you know, that certainly uh, in, in the last decade or so, you know, in terms of uh, diversity, lots more uh, authors have, 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 have come to the fore and, you know, things have really changed in, in a positive way. But I think at the same time, as as, as you've said on, on numerous occasions, the narrative uh, or at least the narrative that's allowed to surface is continually the one about slavery. And mm-hmm. and I know that it matters a lot to you that, 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 you know, black voices should be heard in every sort of genre, in every kind of area of, mm-hmm. of writing. Yeah. And I'm not saying that as a, to disparage stories about slavery since I wrote one. Um, and, and to, to, stop writing stories about slavery would be like to stop writing about the Holocaust. And, and, you know, we can't do that because then people repeat it. But there is, there is a wide range to any, any people's experience. And, and all of it is inherently quite fascinating. And I think that um, certainly as writers, certainly for me, it was important that I went somewhere beyond even that, I think, I think it may have been actually writing a novel about slavery that made me realize there's more to the narrative than this. Even if if the more that more is sometimes great history, sometimes terrible history, but there had to be more, and there's more to the shaping of a people and becoming of a people than just you know that one um, experience. What maybe took writing that novel to realize there's more to what there's more to the story than just this. And tell me, doing the deep dive into African mythology, as you did before you even knew you were researching a book, how would you describe it? What would you describe the preoccupations of, of African mythology being? And, and how would you say it differs from, from you know, a, a more Western experience, yeah. perhaps? Well, yeah. What is the difference that made me preoccupied with it? Because I am so schooled, not just in Western stories and myths and fairy tales, but also a Western way of looking at them. So to read something like, you know, what would pass as vampires in African myth and knowing that unlike unlike the little cowards in the West, they have no problem with daylight. <laughs> <laughs> or, or um, you know, take a word like midnight. And it's like when I say midnight, most of us, most of the listeners have a whole series of connotations they brought to that word. Dark, scary, the witching hour, evil, whatever. That is completely foreign to a lot of these African mythologies because midnight is when the ancestors show up. And midnight is actually a joyful reunion. So it, just, so it wasn't just the, the, the mythology. It was also looking at the world in front of me quite differently. Is is there a sense as well that darkness is not the thing to be feared in the way that everything to do with Western mythology is all about terror of the dark? You know, you Absolutely. mentioned midnight. 
Absolutely. For example, the noon of the dead. Yeah, midnight sometimes is called the noon of the dead, which to us sounds like dawn of the dead. Um, whereas do, noon of the dead just means noons when your really, really cool aunt who you really miss shows up because she's the only person you can talk to about that guy. And suddenly cool auntie shows up. Whereas 12 noon, high noon in the day is one of the scariest times of day. Because if you have a series of vampires and monsters who have no problem with daylight, then at the time when day's most day, they're going to show up. So that's when you close your windows and lock your doors. And it completely shifts everything about what we've associated with these times, you know, with these times of day. Something as simple as that, and that's just one thing, completely sort of threw my equilibrium off. It completely threw off how I saw the world. It made me realize it's not just, that I'd be writing different things, but I have to write them in a different way. Tell me um, uh, how the idea for the trilogy partially sprung, I understand, from a, from a disagreement you had with someone about The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Not the film, not the, the book, but the, the film. And it was about the casting of, of The Hobbit. Oh, God, this was what now, 2009, 2010? At least a decade ago. And um, and it's an argument we always have about representation, about, you know, um, diversity. You know, it's interesting how there's a different kind of discussion now because of the new Rings of Power trailer and everybody thinks because there's a black person it's being politically correct. That's a, that's a whole lot of discussion. But um, that's what the argument came about. And it went the way it always comes about where, you know, the um, my friend would say, well, a lot of the rings is based on British mythology and British history and Celtic lore. And I'd say, you know, a lot of the rings isn't real. <laughs> no. Uh, it's all right. I've, I've spoken to the Tolkien family. They're with me on this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you really, it, 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 you're really open to do whatever you can. If you've read the stuff Tolkien has said, um, when the German, German publisher wanted him to disavow Jewish people, you'd know that Tolkien's vision was always bigger than his fans, yeah. some of his fans think. But, but, but the argument just kept going on. And I just went, you know what? Okay, well, you know, just keep your habit. Or at least keep your idea, which is not, which is, you know, keep your narrow idea, which Tolkien did not share. And that kind of then led me to think, well, then where is, what's the fantasy and the stuff I'm reading? And what's the, where, where is, where, where do I find the African Middle Earth? And, and that was what led me on, again, not a mission to write, just a mission to read. Because it's one thing to decry all of that, but if you were to turn around and go, well, what's the African one? I'd probably go, uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is the situation you ended up uh, in to some extent because you then had loads of notes, loads of information. You know, you'd mm-hmm. gone deep into African mythology and stories, but you didn't have a narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was actually another writer who suggested to you perhaps, you know, the sort of cacophony of voices or at least the different perspectives uh, that mm. you've then embarked on. That was actually that was actually the previous, but that was brief history when I had all these multiple narratives and didn't have a voice. But you've got each of these stories in your fantasy mm-hmm. series comes from a different character. It comes from this, but this one, I think, I think with, 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 um, with this trilogy, the voices came about... I mean, it came up because I was, you know, a lot of things I was reading, not necessarily multiple narratives, but sometimes different versions of the same folktale. Um, and that's part of the oral tradition that went over to Jamaica. Uh, you'd hear the same Anansi story, but the characters have changed. 
and the story of change and the hero of story one is the villain of story two and that really fascinated me that um the, the you know the, the way in which truth became something that you as a listener or the reader had to figure out because as a storyteller i might be tricking you that is what led to these multiple perspectives and you know for example there's not going to be a fourth volume where i go but what really happened was so the reader is really going to have to pick through these three narratives and decide for themselves who's telling the truth i think that's what sparked this trilogy more than anything else the idea that three people could look at the very same thing and have three thoroughly different stories but that that's shaped by their perspective it's shaped by their upbringing it's shaped by their prejudices it's shaped by who they know who they like who they don't like um and all these things that we don't even realize as human beings we bring to bear just in how we look at whether the glass is half empty or half full yeah and you say um you know there's not going to be a fourth volume that it explains how it how how it really happened but you know money talks doesn't it so let's wait and see till you get the big bucks and the films you know well i do love money so <laughs> yeah, we, who doesn't um, but um as you pointed out that that idea of uh scenes from different perspectives and multiple narratives and so on are something mm -hmm. that, that, that you are engaged with yeah. more generally uh, as a writer. Mm -hmm. And I wonder mm -hmm. uh, what that represents for you, what interests you in this idea of, of, of the multiple perspectives, the truths and, and versions right. of the truth. They're, they're very much at the core of, of, of this trilogy and it feels very much uh, about the world we're living in now, even though this mm -hmm. is, as you would call it, speculative fiction. Yeah, yeah, and and I and actually to go back to your previous point, it is the thing that brief history, uh, the the previous novel and these novels have in common, that at some point I realized the type of stories that I wanted to tell one person couldn't tell them, and I think that's it really. That um, you get to a point where there's just you know it's like what Chimamanda Adichie said once: you, you get to the danger of the single story, and for me that's particularly dangerous because I don't believe single stories. So then that that did lead to, in very different ways, all the characters in one novel, each, a character each for separate novels, but it's still the same thing, that there is no one way to tell a story. And we and, and I think I think deep down we know that. That you know there, there's just no one way to tell about. I mean, we're no we're not watching a war. And already there are all these different narratives. Some you can't trust, some you can. But it's 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 war on the ground, war in the media, war on TV. We're already seeing these narratives, and to an extent, they're all true. But then we have to figure out what's the real story there, and 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 that's how the story, stories work in the world, and that's what drew me to then say, well, I want the stories to work the same way in fiction. Your work also features quite a lot of a heavy dose of violence and sex. In a recent interview, um, you said uh, violence is violent and sex is sexy. <laughs> Fairly mm. stating the obvious there. Uh, mm. but, but, but you say you're supposed to be appalled. How, how difficult is it to walk that tightrope, to, to portray violence, to disgust mm -hmm. and dismay rather than to excite or, or fetishize or maybe maybe to do all of those things? I don't know. Tell me the It's kind of all... It's kind of it's kind of all and neither, and it is a constant tightrope walking. And I'm sure there are tons of critics who think I've fallen off the tightrope. But I think for me, the marker that you have gone too far is not when people are outraged; is when they're numb. That's that's the difference between sex and pornography. Um, pornography, like any other drug, after a while you don't get aroused; you get numb. 
And I think that um, the danger with when we present violence is that it leads to a certain numbness. I, I actually don't think my novels rebound in violence, but I do think the violence has consequences. I do think the violence comes with suffering. And I do think that violence, violence is not normal. We like to, you know, it's, it's, we normalize it in film all the time. Somebody can kill 50 people and we still look at them as a hero and they walk off in the sunset. And we never think about the 50 families that just got destroyed. Fine, that's the bargain we make with cinema violence. But violence is not normal behavior. It's, um, it's supposed to be disturbing because it's not what we do. So if it's going to appear, for me, if it's going to appear in fiction, it should leave a mark. It should leave a stain and we should, it should bother you because we should be bothered by it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Marlon, can we talk a little bit about Jamaica and how much you feel that you are shaped by the culture of that country? Um, we were just talking about violence, and, and there do seem to be two distinct pictures of Jamaica, one of this idyllic island with swaying palm trees and another more dangerous side of, of gangs and violence, but nothing in between. Sometimes I want to have at least people not saying that, not adding a third story about homophobia. Because I usually go, I remember when somebody said, man, what does it feel like living in the most homophobic country in the world? I'm like, oh, my God, I had no idea Jamaica was spelled R-U-S-S-I-A. But anyway. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, Jamaica, but, but actually Jamaica is, I mean, it's illegal for men. Is it still illegal for men to have sex in Jamaica? It's illegal. Well, buggery is illegal. But I mean, the thing is, you know, um, this is the legacy of, of, of Britain dropping the penal code all over the world, but never revealing it. You know, it's it's always a mystery, isn't it? Why are the former British colonies so homophobic if Britain is so progressive? But that's a whole other program. Um, to to you know, th- th- there is, and I don't think it's happened that much anymore. Where people still think there are only two narratives when it comes to Jamaica, you know, sun and sea or guns and drugs or whatever. Because you know, one, and and I mean, and I'm ex- evidence of it. I've been part of a pretty solid middle class. 
we're so middleware we're we're so middleware dull and i think that's part of the problem is that the stories of jamaican success and achievement don't fit into a certain kind of third world fetish that i think people need they need this sort of valence itch scratched then it's 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 um it's like no people tourists are still so profoundly disappointed when they find out i don't have i don't have marijuana on me i actually have very bad reactions to marijuana i you know they're so disappointed and and maybe social media has a lot to do with this is that there are so many avenues now for all these other voices for example queer voices huh? i mean I, I, you know, I was just, I just spent a few days de- talking to Jamaica's trans community and they're not hiding at all. Um, so it's um, what we have now is that, that now that more people are getting to tell their own stories, this, the idea that Jamaica can only be two things is something that is really, I think, dying. But it's amazing what you were saying, because what it highlights is an incredible change in your lifetime, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. that's certainly not the reality. I'm not talking about the two narratives here, but I'm talking mm-hmm. about, you know, growing up, uh, you know, feeling different, being different and, and how you were treated as a young mm-hmm. boy. And the fact you're now talking to a, a loud and proud Jamaican trans community, you know, I mean, that is enormous progress and change. Mm-hmm. Can you describe for me a bit about what it was like for you growing up? You know, growing up for me, again, it was pretty middle class. I think people have this idea. I think people have this idea that I spent most of my teenage years hiding from some anti-gay Gestapo when it really wasn't anything like that. Like a lot of people going all over the world, a lot of my struggles were internal. That in itself is a whole other kind of problem in the sense that there were no avenues. Who would I talk to? But, you know, there wasn't any avenues. There wasn't anybody to identify with and so on. But I'm not sure these are peculiar to Jamaica. It's really interesting. I I published an essay in the New York Times back in 2015 about why I had to leave Jamaica and so on. And I spoke to some Jamaicans who were just seven years younger than me. And they're like, I got to tell you, I didn't recognize a single thing you were talking about. In seven years, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's which is not to say that two men are going to hold hands anytime soon. But it is to say that there is a generation of queer, queer-identified and non-binary Jamaicans who the thought of leaving Jamaica has never crossed their minds. Yeah, but you say it, 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 it's not unique to Jamaica, you know, homophobia, and that's absolutely true. But 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 mm-hmm. your experience of growing up uh, and feeling uh, that you couldn't be yourself is unique to you. And I wonder mm-hmm. how that experience translated into perhaps your subsequent immersion in fantasy or your immersion in in stories that that became, Mm -hmm. I presume, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but an escape of of some sort. Oh, absolutely. And it continues to be an escape. I, you know, fantasy for me is whatever I could afford in my pocket money. So fantasy for me actually was superhero comics. I always, I was constantly, I was imagining, I mean, flight, I even dream about it, dream about flight, imagining flight, which of course is imagining escape. My, my favorite superheroes were flyers or teleporters. Um, I think one is why I became so obsessed with reading books. People think I still read books obsessively. Like, no, my obsessive period was like 19 to 29. <laughs> I didn't say this. I think Terry Tempest Williams may have said it. That, um, you know, I read so I can have more than one life. The more books I was reading, and, and that's how I'm used to reading. I'm used to reading five books at a time because I want to have five lives at the same time. Which is, of course, ties into what you're saying about escape. 
And I think that's what I did. I think that's fantasy was an extreme version of it. But honestly, if you're a black person in anywhere, 90% of the books you're reading are wild fantasy. To, you know, Dick and Dora going to Piccadilly Circus to me is as about as fantastical as Hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> because of where I'm coming from. It's all wild for me. Well, in fact, you did. You mentioned that essay that, that you wrote in, in, in 2015. And in it, you describe a, a sort of exorcism you went through in order mm-hmm. to expunge your homosexual yeah. tendencies or, 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 or to attempt to. That sounds to me like it must have been, I mean, the exorcism included. But, 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 but the idea that you'd got to a point where you felt that you needed to, I don't know, drag this bit of you mm-hmm. out and 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 get rid of it is as horrific as anything that you've described in any of your books. Yeah, it is. And the really horrific part is how how easy it is was for me for, to normalize it. Um, you know, I, I've spoken. So I, I didn't realize this until I started to speak to a lot of gay men who came out of the came out of the ex-gay movement i don't know if that's been i don't know if it's illegal here it's been it, hope it's been more and more criminalized in the states that how much of that what i was going through was not a exorcism per se um so much as extreme ex-gay therapy um and it was you right down to right down to like you know having these barf bags around because you're just so you just they induce so much trauma that your body literally cannot handle it and you end up, you know, I don't want to get gross. So you end up vomiting so much that when you're done, you really do feel purged. And of course, if you purge, you're like 10 pounds lighter and about to faint. It's it's really insidious. It still may be of all the things I've written. I don't think I've ever written anything as horrific as as that. And as, as I said, the most horrific part is you don't realize the horror until you only realize the horror in hindsight. Your parents uh, were both police detectives, I think. Mm-hmm. Um how much do you think their jobs influenced, I mean, certainly a, a brief history of seven killings, yeah. but, but what we've been talking about in terms of the different narratives, there's never one story. I mean, that seems to mm-hmm. me very much the territory of a police detective. Yeah, I'm sure my mother would love to take credit for all of my work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, you know, I've said this before that I, I actually do think literature is a form of detective work. And that, especially the novels I write, most of the novels I write are in first person. So they're, in a way, they're characters giving testimony. And I, as a writer, just keep trying to probe deeper and deeper and deeper until I try to figure out what's at the core of of this person. And um, I don't know if I could say for sure that I got it from my parents, but I do think that sense of inquiry, not inquiry, interrogation is definitely police work. And just finally, uh, Marlon, uh, you mentioned 10 fantasy uh, books at the beginning of this interview. I think that you've, well, you've published two. Have you written three? And do you feel like you're going to go on and on with this series? I have not yet written three because one of, so one of the things why, not one of the things, I think what works for me with this fantasy, because it's three different perspectives, I have to forget one to write the other. Because I may know the story of all three, but the characters don't. Um, so, so there is the whole process of forgetting. I, you know, I, I, I do think this story is only th- three. Um, does it mean I'll never go to this universe again? Oh, I think I'll return. I think, I mean, 
in when this next book comes out in 24, I'd have spent 10 years in this universe. It's going to be hard to say goodbye to it. And I don't think I'll say goodbye completely. I mean, that's a 10 year, 10 years of cultivation. So I'll probably return in one way or another or in one medium or another. But I think, um, yeah, the Pandora's box is open. I can't close it back now. <laughs> and in fact, we were laughing. I said finally, but we were laughing. You know, we said, who who doesn't like money? Uh, Michael B. Jordan, the star of Black Panther, I think, bought the screen rights to uh, the first mm-hmm. novel, Black Leopard, uh, Red Wolf. So there might be some enticement there if that gets made and does well to come back mm-hmm. with that explainer fourth novel that you've dismissed so far in the conversation. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's be, it'll be interesting to see how it how it um, how it appears on screen. Um, you know, I I actually like the idea of them go departing or taking risks or going somewhere. The books haven't gone, and um, and just seeing it in a you know in a different way. Um, as I said, I I can I definitely see myself in that universe. I don't know if I see myself with these characters um ever again but uh you know it's it's like you know it's like you know Hilary Mantel just wrote three novels on 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 um you know on Cromwell I'm like Cromwell's gone but we still got all those other wives to talk about Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.